Welcome to Cover 4 Live. My name is Brandon Adams. Happy to have the entire Dog Nation team here tonight. I see Connor Riley. I see Jeff Sintel. I see Mike Griffith. We're all in the state of Georgia. At least I think we are uh, for now. But making our way over to Charlotte in time for Saturday night, the season opener against Clemson. It is finally here. And, you know, we're to the point now where I feel like we've chopped this thing up about every way it certainly can be. And on Dog Nation Daily, I know for a fact we have done that. It's been fun doing so. And at this point in time, there are probably only a couple of angles left to really examine. And, you know, the obvious angles have been touched on. Uh, the surprise angles have been guessed at. But then there's also the X factors as well. And I have to admit, I'm never really quite sure what an X factor is, but I do like the word. It always sounds like it's going to be a student analysis anytime it's used. So, uh, Connor, I think this is your topic idea for tonight. So I guess let me start with you on this. It's Georgia Clemson. It's rich backstory here on both sides, storied rivals, but also contemporary uh, nemesis as well. What is the X factor in this game if you see one at all? Well, first, I need to clarify with Jeff here. Does my X factor have to be on offense? <laughs> can be anywhere. Special be teams, anywhere. give me that punt returner, give me that long snapper. I can't wait to hear it. It's actually it's going to be on the offensive side of the ball. It's going to be John Fitzpatrick, a guy I don't think six months ago when we were thinking about this game, Many people were talking about, but with the injury to Darnell Washington, John Fitzpatrick is a trusted player on this team. He's a guy that Georgia knows he's going to run to the right spot, be in the right spot, running the right route, making the right blocks. All those things are going to be really important. And having him out there, even if he's not necessarily 100%, is A, going to help that line in pass blocking and run blocking and allow Brock Bowers to not have so much on his plate because I think they're going to need contributions from Bowers in this game. And having John Fitzpatrick out there is going to make the rest of everyone's life easy out there. And so because of that, he qualifies to me as an X factor. I hate to be tedious this early in the show, but would you mind giving a definition of X factor for those who or you know, it doesn't have to be a Webster's type deal. But just when, when you say X factor, tell me what you mean by X. factor. I think that Fitzpatrick is a great place to turn for this. But when you say you know, uh, X factor, what do you specifically mean? So it can't be a star, you know, it can't be any of the big names, but it's someone who's going to help their team in ways that might be a little hidden or might not be at the forefront of people's minds to make those winning plays that ultimately end up giving one side the victory. Should point out, by the way, as we're doing this show, live college football, at least in some measure, will take place. Tennessee getting ready to get going against Bowling Green. Vols plays about a five-touchdown favorite there. Uh, Minnesota, Ohio State coming up a little bit later on. There is weather delay in Orlando with UCF and the team that UCF is playing, which is – Failing Boise, State. Boise State, excuse me. Apologize to the Broncos there in the uh, first e- game of the post-Brian Harson era. So college football will be ongoing throughout the night. We'll talk about that a little bit. Mike, I like the brick facade that you're uh, sitting in front of there. Uh, do you have an X factor to the game on Saturday? George's ability to run the football. Would you like to expand upon that? Yeah, I think if you're able to run the ball, you can get balance and it prevents, um, well, it neutralizes the Clemson pass rush, opens up play action, passes downfield, enables Georgia to control the clock and keep that Clemson offense off the field. You know, you go back and look at when Georgia's been the most successful and it's when they've been able to achieve that balance. And, uh, you know, that's one of the more underrated uh, advantages I think Georgia has if you go back and look at uh, how the Ohio State beat Clemson last year. They rushed for 254 yards and Trey Sermon had about 190. So yeah, you've got 11 guys back on defense for Clemson, but 
if those 11 guys haven't figured out how to stop the run, it's going to be a long night for them. Yeah, I think that's interesting, Mike, and I'll uh, come back at you because I'm curious of your opinion on this. So, you know, back in 2017, the phrase around Georgia was, hey, you got to keep chopping. You got to keep going to the running game, even if it's slow getting going, because Kirby Smart at the time and Jim Cheney, the offensive coordinator, believed it was that important to establish that. I'm speaking here as a fan, as a Georgia partisan, as somebody who wants Georgia to win. If there's a keep chopping mindset in this first half with – DJ on the other side, throwing the football for Clemson, I'm going to start to get a little bit nervous. You know, I want to see Georgia run the football there as well. But I have to say in a game like this, and I know I'm a little bit different than some of y'all because I do think the game's going to be slightly higher scoring, certainly than, than, than Connor said when he came on the show earlier this week. But, Mike, you know, as somebody who wants Georgia to win, I'm going to be nervous if it's trying to establish the run while Clemson's trying to establish the pass. And if that leads to a scenario in which Clemson gets more big plays early and puts Georgia to deficit – I got to tell you, that's anxiety producing for me. I think you'd have more anxiety if JT Daniels took a shot in the back on the first drive and was slow to get up. I think job number one is to protect JT and to neutralize the Clemson pass rush that you know, tied for the nation lead in sacks last year. So, you know, every game is about matchups, and Clemson is uh, especially dangerous with the pass rush, and, and therefore you've, you've got to work to protect your quarterback. Unfortunately, these Georgia receivers, while talented, are, are somewhat young. Uh, you know, you take a look at uh, who JT was throwing to last year, and uh, George Pickens ain't coming out of that tunnel, and, and that's unfortunate. And so, you know, you got to hope that Jermaine Burton has a good night. We know he's capable of it. You've got to hope that Adonai Mitchell and Marcus Roseme Jack Saint, uh, two guys that have yet to see any game action with JT, uh, are in sync at that X position. Uh, Connor mentioned John Fitzpatrick. I think John is just as valuable as a blocker in the run game, but, uh, you know, he will certainly be a safety valve. And then, you know, you look to the backs. I've I've said this before. I think Georgia's offense will look a lot like it did in the G-Day game when we saw JT laying the pass off to those backs in the flats when not running it. So I I think you have to respect Clemson's defense, B.A. I don't think that Georgia's going to be running the ball three yards in a cloud of dust all night. Uh, but I do think they'll take the chances. But once you're able to establish the run, Brandon, that's what opens up the play-action pass because those safeties have to start coming down in the box. Um, you know, you could say pass to set up the run, and who knows, maybe that'll happen. Maybe Georgia will come out with those short passes and and spread Clemson out a little bit and run the ball. Uh, either way, though, I think that Georgia's ability to run the ball uh, would be the ultimate winning edge in this football game because – I don't see Clemson having any success running the ball against Georgia. What do you think, Jeff? Okay, as much as I wanted to go with something clever and say Cedric Von Prawn Ratledge here, uh, the two interior linemen that are going to be making likely their first starts, um, despite the hubris that Kirby Smart showed for Warren Erickson's health this week, it's a good news either way if Von Prawn Granger go or Erickson's good enough to go. I think the name is James Cook. I'm going to call him next factor. Nobody's really going to consider him a star. He's a grown man. He's out of the 2018 class. Uh, I think Cook is a guy that will help George out on the edges, will help George out in the perimeter. I think that's a guy that has to make explosive plays as your X factor. And I think that's why Georgia needs a big game from James Cook. On yeah, I think, that, I think that's interesting. I like what Mike said uh, a moment ago about – hey, you know, go back and look at G-Day. You saw multiple Georgia running backs 
utilized his receivers after the game. JT Daniels, the Georgia quarterback, talked about his comfort in dumping off to those guys. He said he checked. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said that he had checked down all day long to those guys. And I think that's right. And kind of this is something you and I've talked about a, a good bit that the deepest position group on Georgia's team is the running back spot. And folks can debate about who should get the most carries and who should be doing this and who should be doing that. But the point is they've got a lot of guys who I believe are capable of playing and you got to utilize that depth and got to be creative how you use it. I want to see two back sets and I want to see guys thrown too. And, and frankly, why I like the idea of throwing to cook, because we know that I mean, he showed it you know, last year that he can be a weapon in the passing game. I want them to throw to more than just James Cook in a game like this. I want to use the running backs as many creative ways as you possibly can. Yeah, and with the dearth of talent that they sort of have at the skill posi- at the wide receiver position right now due to the injuries, I think you need to have multiple running backs in this game have sort of really big games. I would almost certainly count James Cook as a guy that doesn't need to just be an X-factor. He needs to be a legitimate factor in this game for Georgia. He's a guy that you need to find the way to somehow get over 100 all-purpose yards, something similar to what he did against Alabama last year. Obviously, you can't bank on an 82-yard touchdown catch, but you need to find ways to get him involved. And then from there, you need a running back that's sort of like Trey Sermon, as Mike pointed out, is able to grind that Clemson defense down. That way you can hit them deep and you can take advantage of them in the passing game, whether that's Kendall Milton or Zamir White or Kenny McIntosh. Georgia's going to need two strong games from two running backs in this if I think they're going to pull out a win on Saturday. So here's my X factor, and it's, I guess, slightly negative, although I don't necessarily mean for it to be. But to go back to what I was talking about with Mike a moment ago, if I had the Madden controller, you know, like the Xbox controller in my hand on Saturday, if I'm the one that's calling plays, you know, I do see the need to get aggressive early. I do see the need to be the team that strikes the big play first or maybe match the big play that Clemson puts together. But that also – you know, raises the potential for a mistake, too. I don't make too much out of some of the stuff that Pro Football Focus has talked about with Daniels and what they call turnover-worthy throws, things like that. I don't make too big of a deal about that in my mind, but obviously if I'm pushing Georgia to be as aggressive offensively as possible, then the chance of a ball being picked off, that is, you know, that does go up. The chance of Clemson getting a defensive score does go up. Obviously, you know, a lot of Georgia fans would love to see the dogs be the one that produces the defensive score because of the way that changes the the equation around the game. But, you know, let's say it's Clemson that utilizes defense to find a way to either get a short field offensively or get some defensive points. All of a sudden, Georgia's facing early deficit. You know, what does that do to the to the anticipated game plan? I guess that's kind of my concern here a little bit is, you know, I like Georgia playing from an even spot. And obviously I love what can happen for Georgia if it gets a lead, but how does the game change if it's Clemson that gets out to the early lead? That's that, that's to me, the X factor of what happens if, if that's the way that it unfolds in the early stages of Saturday night. I don't know. Well, I think you go back and, and sorry to jump on you there, Mike, but you know, you look back to that Ohio state game a year ago, Clemson came out and moved the ball well and scored on their first two drives and had a lead early in that game. And Ohio State got hit in the mouth and responded and really never let Clemson get back in there. You know, it's the old Mike Tyson saying, yeah, it's great to have him playing until you get hit in the face. And that's probably going to happen in Georgia in some way on Saturday. Either they're going to have a lead in the second half and at some point Clemson's going to make a play because Clemson is still an incredibly talented team to get back in it. And we're going to have to see how Georgia responds. It's the first game of the season and how Georgia responds to its first real test of adversity, whether that comes in the first quarter or the fourth quarter, I think is going to be really telling about this team. Mike, what do you think? I'd refer you guys back to not that everybody wants to remember the Florida game, but do you guys know that Georgia was winning that game 21 to 14 with 12 minutes left in the second quarter? 
And Florida was able to score 24 points in 12 minutes in the second quarter. The reason they were able to do that, it wasn't just defensive breakdowns. It was because Georgia was unable to get first downs, and they gave the ball back to Florida with three and outs on four of their last five possessions. If Georgia was able to run the ball effectively, that doesn't happen. Do you realize that Florida had nine possessions in the first half of that game last year? That's all they had the entirety of the game before. The difference was Samir White in Georgia was not able to run the ball against Florida when they needed to in the second quarter. You go look at the second half, what they give up? Six points on defense? I think was the final score, 44 to 28. So you gave up, what, six points in the entire second half, but your inability to run the football was what cost you that Florida football game. And when Georgia can't run the ball, that's when they have trouble. Georgia is not going to win this game being one-dimensional. The receivers aren't there yet. JT Daniels is fine. He's not the issue. The problem is these receivers haven't done it, and that's where Clemson is really strong is on the back end of this defense. So you don't want to go into the teeth of the defense and put your quarterback at risk if you can find some balance. So that's why I say for this particular game, and again, now maybe Georgia comes out throwing on first down, throwing those swing passes to James Cook, as Connor talked about, uh, you know, Centel referencing Cedric Van Pran and the comfort that Kirby seems to have with him now. Uh, if that offensive line can provide adequate protection, I'm not saying JT can't sit back there and pick them apart, but Brandon, they're not going to go deep and risk turnovers if they're able to run the ball effectively and, and move the ball downfield, I don't believe. But, Mike, if, if that's the case, if this is a team that feels like it can't throw the ball against Clemson because of what Clemson does defensively, then for now, Georgia's not a team that plays the highest level in college football because there's not, not a team in the – Not going to make a living. Now, now, convent, now, now, on the other side, Clemson is going to have to live throwing over 40 passes because they can't run effectively. I'm not saying they're not going to take deep shots. They're just not going to make a living doing it because you're going to expose JT Daniels to the best pass rush you're going to see all year, and you don't want him injured the first game of the season. And I'm going to let Jeff jump in here, and then, Connor, I know your hand's raised too, but let me just follow up. If Of course I don't want Georgia to only throw the ball. Of course I don't want Georgia to be one-dimensional. This is a team that's too good with its running backs not to run the football. But if this is a team that feels like, oh, we got to be careful throwing the ball against Clemson, then we're pretending if we put Georgia in the national championship conversation. Because that's not what national championship contenders think going into a game like this. They are looking a true championship contender for the moments that they can strike deep because that's what every championship contender does. Jeff, jump in here. And then, uh, Connor, like I said, I know you wanted to get in here too. Yeah, I mean, guys, we're certainly talking it up pretty good. But I just go back to basic football. And, and what I know about football is usually it's the bigger, large men that win the game. It's the more physical <laughs> team that wins the game. You can talk about jet passes and jet sweeps and quick game and – you know, I think Clemson has a very good defensive front, Mike. That's one of the things that rolls through my mind. If you want to try to play poison with that defensive secondary where all those returning Tigers are back, uh, you got to kind of kind of deal with that pass rush as well. I just think, you know, how many times have we said this this week? I mean, I think, Connor, if, if uh, we gave uh, JT Daniels a passing yard for every time we said the better offensive line uh, performance in this game is going to win this game, I think he'd have 497 passing yards right now. Um, to me, you know, you want to say something like, watch Georgia's second receiver, because everybody knows Jermaine Burton's probably going to probably going to end up with eight catches for 96 yards and maybe a touchdown. And I need to know who Georgia's 
second most well-fed receiver is going to be in this game plan? Is that going to be um, somebody coming out of nowhere like a Brock Bowers or a Justin Robinson? Or is it going to be somebody like a – which more people might think might happen. Is that going to be a guy like an A.D. Mitchell? Is that going to be that type of player, Kiaris Jackson? Maybe there's some health concerns there as well. I think it's really overthinking it. I look at Georgia a lot, and I see uh, I see Georgia's front line, which is going to have two, uh, a 2017 redshirt senior in Justin Schaefer. It's going to have a 2018 senior in Jamari Salyer. It's going to have a 2018 senior in Jordan Davis. It's going to have a 2018 senior in Devontae Wyatt. Excuse me, 2017 senior in Devontae Wyatt. You got a lot of grown men. You got a lot of 21, 22-year-old men, too. And I think the bigger, badder dudes that throw the other side around consistently, that's what's going to win this football game. As much as we want to look at air raid and points yards and explosion and all that, I, th- I think you're really going to have to see the, the more physical team win this football game. Go ahead, Connor. So Mike brings up a really good point. And if you want to add in the Florida game with the run struggles that they had in that game, aside from the first play, there's a 75-yard touchdown for Zamir White. You look at the Mississippi State game, 23 carries for eight yards. You look at the Cincinnati game, 24 carries for 45 yards. Georgia really struggled to run the ball in those games. And yes, they reshuffled the line there against Cincinnati, but they had Ben Cleveland and Trey Hill in both that, that Florida and that Mississippi State game. And those guys are now in the NFL. We've all talked about the Georgia running game and the necessity, I think, for Georgia to use that in this game. But should we be this confident in this group that they're going to be able to run the football given the struggles I think this offensive line had in the later stages of last season and the fact that they're going up a Clemson defensive line that even if Tyler Davis doesn't end up playing, they still have some absolute studs out there that they can slide in? So let me say it this way, Connor. I was thinking about this today. That I think if people went back and dug into the stats of a year in which they thought Georgia was great on the offensive line and dominant running the football, not 2019 because that was an offense that had its share of problems. Go back to 2018. I mean, that's the one year most people would say great Georgia rushing attack, great Georgia offensive line, a lot of guys who play in the NFL. The truth is, I think if you went back and really dug in the numbers, you'd be surprised to find out how ineffective Georgia was in short yardage situations that year as well. Measured by stuff rate, goal line situations. Georgia wasn't great in short yardage there either. I mean, and back then, there were a lot of Georgia fans who were saying, we want the offensive line to change. We don't want these big behemoths anymore. We want guys who can move, who give you a chance to play faster, who look a little bit more like what the modern game looks like. That's the transition that's been ongoing. Uh, Mike brought this up before, and you know he may have meant it rhetorically, but I mean it literally. I think you've got to throw the ball to set up the run. You have got to soften up defense. Otherwise, the running game is not going to be there. If you want to point to, you know, Florida game post Zemir White's long touchdown to start that game or Cincinnati game or things like that where the Georgia running game was ineffective, what I'm going to tell you, you know, certainly pre-JT Daniels especially, what I'm going to tell you is that was a defense that you may have been facing that didn't quite respect the Georgia passing game enough then to truly be softened up the way that you hope it does now in year two of Todd Munkin, first full year of JT Daniels and all that kind of stuff. So will the Georgia running game be effective on Saturday? I think it depends on how much Georgia offensively makes a defense respect its ability to throw the football. If you do that, you have a chance to run it. But if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to run it either. That's my opinion. I, I, so the Mississippi State game, yes, I think that was a game where they sold out and said, yes, we are daring you to beat us with the throw, JT Daniels. And he did that day. And if he did not, Georgia was going to lose to a Mississippi State game that ended the regular season, I believe, 3-7, and seven, maybe 4-7 and seven there. 
Mm-hmm. With that Cincinnati game, I, that game was really concerning because Cincinnati knew at that point how good JT Daniels was and what he was capable of doing. And yeah, he threw for 392 yards that day, but I don't think any true Georgia fan would admit, yeah, it was a great game played by JT Daniels that day. You know, obviously, pro football focused has beaten the turnover worthy plays to death, but I, I think JT Daniels. The the other this isn't an X factor because JT Daniels is a star. He and DJ Ungale are the two biggest names in this game. JT to, for Georgia to win, JT Daniels needs to outplay DJ Uyunglele in this game. I agree. I, this is a larger question for the group, but if DJ Uyunglele outplays JT Daniels, I find it hard to see a way where Georgia wins this game. I think you know it's really simple. Sometimes Jeff mentioned the more physical team wins. I think whichever team plays quarter, whichever quarterback plays better, because I think both these guys are going to be asked to do a lot in this game against really good defenses. Whichever quarterback plays better, to make it simple. I think it's going to be the one that ends up winning. million percent. Jeff, you agree? Is it that simple in your mind? Um, it's tangential. I think tangential. I guess the thing I think right there is the offensive line is going to have to keep the quarterback up. So those things are kind of linked to me on the line of scrimmage. If, if JT doesn't get a lot of time, if JT's rolling out and throwing under duress, I think Clemson makes Georgia a one-handed offense if JT has to move around a lot. Mike, what do you think? I disagree completely. When Notre Dame beat Clemson last year, 47-40, to 40, DJ Uyagalele threw for 439 yards and two touchdowns. Ian Book for th- threw for 310 yards and one touchdown. DJ Uyagalele outplayed Ian Book, but Clemson lost because they only were able to manage 34 yards on 33 carries, and Notre Dame ran for 208 yards and three touchdowns on 40 carries. So in most cases, I would agree with Connor. But because Clemson is such a poor run team, finishing 11th in the ACC, the fact that they're going to be one-dimensional, that's going to enable Dan and Kirby to dial up a lot of different pressures with Mr. Anderson, Nolan Smith, and Trayvon Walker. DJ Uyangalele has not seen a pressure package like he's going to see Saturday night, nor has he played with this sort of noise, albeit it's a neutral site crowd, but he hasn't played in front of more than 20 or 25,000 people. So the fact that Clemson, if they go one-dimensional, it's quite possible. And in fact, if I was a betting man, I might say DJ Uyunglele could have more yardage passing than JT Daniels. But if you tell me that Georgia is going to rush for 200 yards, I'm going to take Georgia to win this game. I tell you, I hope that you're right about Georgia dialing up the pressure because I think, you know, unlocking the game plan defensively, being more aggressive on that side of the ball is just as important as it is offensively there as well. We'll keep this conversation going. Let me remind folks, it's Mike Griffith, Connor Riley, Jeff Santel. I'm Brandon Adams. This is Cover 4 Live here on the Dog Nation video channels, getting ready for Georgia Clemson. Since we're talking about J.D. Daniels, let's keep that discussion going. Somebody asked before the show if, you know, a game like this, what kind of impact would it have on J.T.'s ultimate legacy as a college quarterback. And I normally I let y'all give the opinions first, then I kind of respond. Let me give one first, though, and and give y'all a chance to respond to this. I was thinking about this this way today. If you think about the national sports shows, like the Skip Bayless, the Stephen A. Smith, the Colin Cowards, the people that like go on national TV, do very broad shows, very broad, you know, focused, you know, frankly, I think those guys, the Baylesses, the Stephen A's, the Colin Cowards, I don't think those type of people know a single name in college football right now. I don't think there's a college football player currently famous enough 
to be a topic on a big national sports show on ESPN. Because if you really watch those shows, they don't really get much beyond the top two or three names in a, in, in a sport like college football. And currently, there's not someone famous enough to be on that radar as of yet. Last year at the beginning of the season, Trevor Lawrence would have been there. The year before that, at the beginning of the season, Tua Vailoa would have been there. Currently, though, because so many of the big power programs have brand-new quarterbacks, there's just not somebody famous enough to have Skip Bayless spewing hot takes about him on Fox you know, television right now. So my point of bringing this up is to say this, is that the door is open for somebody to be the most famous player in college football at the beginning of the season. And obviously name image likeness makes that a, a more lucrative race to be a part of, but just beyond that, the door is open to be the face of college football right now. Kind of the way that we put the face on the cover of the Madden, or I should say the EA sports college football, you know, video game, the door is open for somebody to kick that in. And I just think for JT Daniels, because it's a huge stage, you know, it's Chris Fowler, it's Kirk Kerbstreit calling the game. It's the big TV audience. It's the great half and half neutral site kind of crowd here. Everything about the game just screams huge, including the storied rivalry that Georgia and Clemson kind of have together. What better chance than for JT Daniels to use this game to say, I am the face of college football. It's not Spencer Rattler. It's not the brand new quarterback at Ohio State who's playing tonight. It's not, you know, you know, DJ on the other side for Clemson. It's not the brand new quarterback at Alabama. It's me. I've been waiting my turn, and now it's my turn. I mean, I think the game is potentially huge for JT's legacy because I think he gets a chance to introduce himself to the country in a huge way. College football obsessive clearly know who he is, but the casual college football fan really probably doesn't know that much about him yet. But boy, what a great way to introduce yourself come Saturday night. So for me, I think the game is huge for JT Daniels legacy. It, yeah, it is. you bring up a great point, B.A., but I don't think it has to be JT. It could be Jordan Davis. I mean, you look at a guy like Jordan Davis, and Connor had a really nice story about him this morning on dognation.com. You look at a guy like Jordan Davis who's that big, uh, with plays with that energy, He that's a large man. We know the pursuit. I mean, I think Jordan Davis is going to really wow some people and go, Man, look at that big guy and how fast he moves. Or maybe Adam Anderson. Maybe he'll have a, a multiple sack game and and you know, like he did against Cincinnati or like Aziz Ajilari put together against maybe we'll see Adam Anderson with three or four sacks, or or maybe Lewis Seen turns the lights out on one of those talented Clemson receiver and cuts him in half when DJ puts him out over the middle. Maybe it's D, maybe it's JT, maybe it's Kendall Milton going for 200 yards, maybe Zamir White finds his stride and, and breaks 100 yards in this game. Maybe James Cook, as Connor said earlier, uh, you know, has 150. There's a lot of different people. I just don't think JT is that playmaking kind of guy that, that dazzles with some 30 or 40-yard run or uncorks the 70-yard laser pass. I think he's more the John Stockton efficient point guard that gets it out to the playmakers, and we marvel about the efficiency more so than the athletic grace that he makes these plays with. Go ahead, Connor. I'm not sure you want to compare JT Daniels to John Stockton because John Stockton never won a championship, and, and you know JT Daniels, he didn't. John Stockton never won a championship, and, and that's he won an Olympic gold medal. And JT didn't have to play against Jordan. He won a gold medal on a team he shouldn't have been on. That was Isaiah Thomas's spot, and everyone knows it. I, you know, college football, the B.A.'s larger point, with fame in college football, it's weird. And you can even look at some of the quarterbacks this year that are being mentioned as, like, the most famous potential. The guys, be, uh, Brandon listed through their, 
DJ Oingale, a five-star recruit, first year, first real year as a starter. Uh, same for Bryce Young, CJ Stroud at Ohio State. It's usually either a young guy or it's a guy that sort of comes out of nowhere that has waited his time for a while, maybe even transferred somewhere. A guy like Joe Burrow, a guy like Mac Jones. JT Daniels has been a, a, a somewhat known commodity because he was weirdly both of those things where he was a guy who starts right away at USC, has the injury, has to transfer, and has taken a, a very, even amongst transfers, I would say a very different route than we have seen from some of the big-name quarterbacks in recent years. And I think Mike brings up a great point. He's not a dazzling quarterback. He is not the athlete that a DJ Uyunglele is. But he's still, I think, a good enough player and a good enough passer to make the plays necessary to win this game. You know, you, you think legacy games. The 2012 Florida game was not Aaron Murray's finest game. It was not his mm-hmm. finest hour. But when they needed him to make a play, he made a third down completion to Malcolm Mitchell. Malcolm Mitchell made a guy miss. They go on to win that game. Jarvis Jones had a huge game that day. And that game really helped Aaron Murray sort of get over to what at that point in his legacy been. You know, this is a guy, can he win the big game? And while he wasn't great that day, it wasn't the most spectacular quarterback out there, he made the plays needed to when Georgia needed him to make it. And if JT Daniels is able to do that on Saturday against the top five, top three Clemson team, I think that's really going to help not just his legacy within Georgia, but the way people think about him on a national scale. What do you think, Jeff? So there's a lot of things that I kind of ripple through my mind about that. I just think Georgia, the way Georgia's – well, let me start with JT Daniels. I think JT Daniels last year was basically like the opening act to a big concert. I think his legacy – we're just really going to find out JT Daniels' legacy on Saturday. But I don't think – let's face it, folks, if he plays – if he plays 30 out of 36, three touchdowns, 305 yards, and and then Georgia maybe doesn't doesn't beat an Auburn or Georgia doesn't meet a Florida or Georgia doesn't beat a, an Alabama later in the year, I think that legacy, we all know how that one's going to be remembered. Um, when I look at how Georgia wins this game, I think Georgia, when you take away guys like um, a Darnell Washington, a George Pickens, you take away the Eric Gilbert thoughts there. I think when you look at Georgia's overall talent edge on on Clemson, I think more of that swings toward defense. So when I think about a guy that's going to have his quote-unquote shining moment uh, for Georgia in a victory on Saturday night, I think it's got to come on the defensive side of the ball. And I, I'll reference a name that, that Mike keeps bringing up a lot this week when he he, he, he he basically brings up all of the um, cumulative NFL mock draft projections or whatever. I think this has got to be a guy that eventually stops Clemson in that Jarvis Jones mold. Uh, Connor's point there for Georgia, Florida got me thinking. And I think it's a dude like Adam Anderson. This is a game where the best player on the field, the most talented player on the field should wreck it. And for Georgia to win this game, I think Adam Anderson's going to have to wreck Clemson's offense quite a lot. But I think the one thing you got to acknowledge here, though, is, is that to go back to JT Downs for a moment, fairly or not, this is the way football is that that we don't know what Jordan Davis's record is as a starting nose guard for George. I mean, I could go back and do the math on it, but that's not the vernacular that football fans use. But you better believe come December of this year, everyone will know what JT Daniels record is as Georgia's starting quarterback, whether it's perfect or imperfect or, you know, something, you know, in, in between people will know JT Daniels record as a starting quarterback. And you could say, well, that's unfair. But that's the way football is across the board. We just hold quarterbacks to a different standard. Like I can very easily see a situation. Let's say that's a great year for Georgia, and Georgia's on its way to winning a national championship. I can see JT on his way to winning a Heisman Trophy and having our comment section filled with people saying, well, actually, Georgia's best player is really blah, 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 so-and-so. And oftentimes, you know, that's true, right? The quarterback gets the glory. The quarterback gets the blame. And – 
whether it's a Jordan Davis or, you know, as Mayor White or, you know, whoever it might be that that, you know, the people's choice is as kind of the workhorse getting the real work done. The quarterback's just going to get the additional attention on that. So that's just the spotlight that a quarterback enters into in a situation like this. And I mean, I think for Daniels, there's going to be an entirely different threshold of that come Saturday, because as he said, I guess it was his press conference on Monday, I guess he said this, or sometime he said this recently, where, hey, in California, football is a thing that people like, but down here in the South, football is like obviously something that people are obsessed over. The level of attention Daniels is about to get as he enters into a full year playing quarterback in Georgia, full stadiums. You know, a lot of folks didn't see Daniels games a year ago. Ratings were down across the board in college football. The stadiums weren't full. There's a whole swath of casual fans about to be introduced to JT Daniels for the first time. Not our audience, because our audience is not really casual fans. Our audience is more plugged in people. But casual fans are about to learn a lot about JT Daniels, and he's about to get the excessive scrutiny for the good and for the bad that quarterbacks get at all levels of the sport. Right, and, you know, some of the criticism about JT Daniels, I think comes from that Peach Bowl game. It was probably the first time a fair amount of national people saw him. And, you know, if you're asking me to rank the four games he played last year, it's probably the worst game that he played. Now, it was against the best defense that he saw in Cincinnati. But, you know, this is just an opportunity. Again, they're going to have the national showcase. You know, uh, unless you're a, a complete weirdo who just loves to watch LSU-UCLA, you're tuning in to watch all four quarters of this game. Or mm-hmm. you have this on your main TV because it, it's – you know, it, 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 off the top of my head, this is the best regular season matchup in terms of ranked teams, five versus three. It, this is a matchup you usually typically kind of see at the end of the season. So to get this week one, there's going to be even extra attention paid on it. And, and I think it's a game where Daniels, while I think a lot of SEC people know who he is, this is going to be a chance for him to introduce himself naturally, good or bad, to a much wider audience. And Mike, I'll say one more thing about this, and then we'll move on and talk about something different. You know, for as much as Daniels does all the right things in terms of sharing his NIL money with his teammates and, you know, talking about, you know, the the willingness to avoid distraction, things like that, you better believe that he knows that DJ Uyengale has got the Dr. Pepper commercial and, you know, who's got what, what Bryce Young has, what he has and who's getting what attention and, and, and who's getting, you know, you know, ranked where in terms of draft lists and things like that you better know that competitive fire is burning him on Saturday to go out there and prove all of that on a big stage. I'd say the biggest stage that he's played in in his career up to this point in time. You better know that these guys are keeping score. Now, press conferences are going to put on the uh, shucks routine, which I guess is probably a smart thing to do. Privately, that fire burns to go out and prove that he's better than these guys, including the guy he's lining up across from on Saturday. Sure, you know, but poise weighs out over everything. You know, Clemson is a team. This is a really well-coached team. I mean, I I think people need to realize Dabo Sweeney is the winningest active coach in college football. He's number one. He's won more than 80% of his games. That's better than Nick Saban. Uh, I think the Lance Leopold coach from Buffalo is three, and Kirby Smart's number four. So you're looking at two juggernaut coaches and coaching staffs, and and look, everybody in the room knows that you got to get out of this game with the Golden Goose. Clemson knows that Georgia doesn't want to expose JT to big hits, and Georgia knows that Clemson doesn't want to expose DJ Uyangalele to big hits. So they're going to game plan like that, and that's why the over-under is set so low. Those guys with the big hotels and the big fountains, sorry, BA, they make more money than anybody, and that's because they're right often, and they know what they're talking about. Now, I'm not saying that you got to go by the Las Vegas line all the time, 
But the reality of it is this is not going to be two sluggers going toe-to-toe in the 16th round in a college football playoff game. This is two boxers looking to spar and get out of here after a 12-round decision and somebody's hand gets raised. And so you're not going to explain. JT, he doesn't have anything to prove. He may have had those moments, and I do believe he had those moments, against Mississippi State where he wanted to make sure everybody knew who the best quarterback was on the roster and wanted to make sure that he would never come out of the lineup again. I do believe that. But in a game like this, this is a this is as much a chess game, and there's going to be plenty of possessions. Both teams are going to play with tempo. But I, I think you're right. I think he's excited. I think this is a huge game for him. I think it will be a part of his legacy. But all I do is throw out Jake Fromm to you. All this guy did was sweep Florida, sweep Tennessee, win an SEC championship. I don't know what was thirty six and five. Had a, you know some a clowns running around at receiver doing the wrong things in twenty nineteen. Don't, don't call them clowns. Don't call well, them clowning around. Whatever clowns. clowns, Ronald Can't McDonald, whatever you want to call them. People that were running the wrong routes and dropping passes and things. And his legacy isn't for the better, even though he had a remarkable career with numbers better even than Matthew Stafford. Hard to believe, but it's true. But Uh, Jake Fromm never won a game against a team like Clemson, and I think that's held against him in his legacy. I think Oklahoma – I think the Oklahoma game was a big win, and I don't know how good this Clemson team really is, to be honest with you. It's a fair point. All right, let's move on here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the other players in the roster beyond this. You know, obviously for George to get a win like the one they're going to try to get on Saturday, they got to lean on a bunch of different guys. And, you know, George has dealt with injuries, and you got, you know, guys who are moving into, you know, kind of new roles. And I guess in some ways we'll be somewhat surprised by who does slip into some, some of these roles there on Saturday night. But when it comes to the most indispensable players on Saturday – the ones that Georgia can at least live with that. And I'd actually like to look at this on the Clemson side a little bit there too, if we can. But Jeff, who comes to mind for you as an indispensable player, the kind of person that in the role that he's in on Saturday, uh, Georgia simply can't do without him. Got to be an offensive guy. <laughs> it has to be uh, considering this game. Daniels off the board. Yeah, he, he, both quarterbacks were off the board for obvious Although reasons. I will say this though. Not that I want this to happen, but I think that Georgia's depth at backup quarterback is a lot better than Clemson's is right now. And, that is correct. Uh, I, I, I just think that – at least all of them thought away. Go ahead, Jeff, if we can interrupt your cotillion. Uh, uh, I, w- I would say that um, the most indispensable player for me – I'm going to sound like a broken record. It's got to be an offensive player, and I think it's Jermaine Burton. I think Jermaine Burton's the guy that can consistently beat Clemson's best corner. I think Georgia might try to float him around in a lot of spots, maybe not keep him um, at the Z, uh, maybe not. You know, I, I think Rosamie Jack Saint and, and Justin Robinson will get a lot of the looks at the X, but I'd be moving Jermaine Burton around, trying to get him on maybe Clemson's lesser guys at, at, at corner, trying to get him to make plays. Uh, my whole – pie chart, wherever you want to say it, for how Georgia beats Clemson, it needs Jermaine Burton to have a great game because if Jermaine Burton doesn't have a great game, I think it causes stress on all other parts of the machine or the jet for as Mike likes to keep drawing up. Um, I think that's the guy. I think Jermaine Burton, you talk about a guy that needs to take a step forward. I think I think Jermaine Burton having an eight catch, 120 yards, two touchdown night is, is central to a Georgia victory. Georgia's got to have a number one receiver play like a number one receiver. 
I think Jermaine Burton's a terrific name. Not the, I mean, it was interesting to hear Kirk Herbstreit on Thursday talk about what he thinks is more depth at the Georgia receiver position than what he's used to seeing. But I don't quite think anybody's, at least with the available players right now, dialing it in the way that I think that Jermaine Burton potentially can. So I think Burton's a pretty good name there. Connor, what do you think? Yeah, Burton's a great name. This might be cheating a little bit because he is Georgia's best overall player. Give me Jordan Davis. You know, Mike talked earlier about Clemson's inability to run the ball. You wonder if he gets hurt, if he's not able to go. It's going to be hot there in Charlotte on Saturday. You, I think it's fair to wonder about the conditioning level for this game. First game of the year, cramps, as B.A. knows, covering high school football now, are very prevalent in that first game of the yep. season. Georgia needs him to take away the running game to make Clemson one-dimensional. I think beating them is much easier, as we saw last season, when they're not able to run the ball. And you need him to impact the pass game in some ways because I think Clemson, because of the struggles they're going to have running the ball, Jordan Davis is going to find himself in there on first and second downs with an opportunity to impact the passer. And if you can put him in even third and longer situations, make it even more obvious that, hey, Adam Anderson, you don't have to worry about anything else. You can just get down, go, and go get the quarterback. Nolan Smith, you do the same thing. I think that's going to make life for this Georgia defense much, much easier. So while it might be cheating a little bit, I love Jeff's answer of Jermaine Burton. That's probably the most correct one. Give me Jordan Davis here. I think Davis is a terrific answer as well because really nobody else in the roster is capable of doing what he does. Now, I've also kind of pushed for Davis to do some more stuff this year. We've seen him do in the past, but there is nobody else that steps onto the field and and just looks and does the things that Davis does. I think that's a, a pretty terrific answer there as well. Mike, do you have a name in a discussion like this? That's a great answer from Connor. I mean, he's an absolute eraser. Uh, I, I think a lot of Devontae Wyatt and Jalen Carter – um, but but there's no doubt that there's only one Jordan Davis. And as you saw against Florida, even the Gators were able to have some success running in that game before they opened it up. Uh, I'm going to go with N'Kobe Dean. And as I said, I think Clemson's game plan is going to be to get the ball on the perimeter. Uh, a lot of quick screens, even their offensive coordinator. And, guys, I just posted a story on DogNation.com about Dabble talking about the game plan. I mean, he's pretty much raising the white flag going, these guys are massive. Nobody can move them. You know, you got to find other ways. And Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, says we got to find balance, but you can include RPOs and quick screens in your run game. You can count those as runs, right? And so you throw those high percentage passes. And I just think we see a lot of number 17 flashing out there. I think this is a 13 tackle game for Nicobe Dean. You guys have seen him in vintage form before. Guy flies around, I think he's very important. Uh, is the voice of the defensive huddle. A lot of those adjustments, they'll be listening to him. You know, uh, Kirby Smart said, you know, he's the most vocal guy. He's the heart and soul of the defense. And in a game against Clemson, which can play tempo, which means they're going to run right, you got to have that voice, that guy that can read, that can get everybody lined up, and that can play sideline to sideline and make those open field tackles. And I just don't think there's another player like N'Kobe Dean in that linebacking core right now. Not yet. I think that's an interesting point. And Orin Chile brings up in the comments section. Somebody keep asking too why I keep turning around. I got the TV behind me over here, so I'm watching the Tennessee game. I'm sorry. I'll try to focus on what we're trying to do here. Um, Orin Chile brings up a really great question in the comments section, kind of along these lines. And, Jeff, I'll, I'll let you answer this first because it's tying in what we're saying right now. Here's what Orin asks. Would you trade Georgia's front seven for Clemson's front seven? Obviously, from the perspective of a Georgia fan, would you trade the Georgia – for the Clemson? I think it's a great question. I'd say no, but man, you know, guys like Murphy and Brzee, you know, they're finished products. They're polished right now. And then they're finished products. So 
you know, theoretically, you probably think about it, but I'm still taking the guys in silver britches on Saturday. What do you think? Georgia's front seven, Clemson's front seven. What do you think about that, Jeff? I, I take Clemson's front seven. I think there are two or three first-round picks in there. I don't know if Georgia has a maybe one with a brilliant year or two first-round pick on that stage. Uh, I also think about a guy that I think could potentially wreck the game that not a lot of people are thinking about, and that's Xavier Thomas. I mean, Georgia could get block, Brzee blocked up. Georgia could get Miles Murphy blocked up. Maybe maybe Georgia could get um, Cap Hart or Trey Williams or whoever in the middle. But you got an X factor there, which is Xavier Thomas, which is he was basically the same player coming out of high school that Nolan Smith was, the same type of ratings, the same type of bad dude, the same type of future top 10 NFL pick walking. Everybody remembers Xavier Thomas, 2018 class. He was one of their jewels coming along with Trevor Lawrence. But then he missed a lot of last season with some health coming back from COVID, everything else like that. He lost a lot of weight. Um, I just think Clemson has a lot of guys in that front seven. I remember their hall where they basically replaced their Mighty Morphin Power Rangers defensive line where everybody got drafted in the NFL's first two or three rounds, it seemed like, off a national championship team. I think the overall pro pedigree and upside of a lot of guys is pretty strong when it comes to Clemson's front seven. I I cannot stress this enough. If Georgia does not have at least two, probably three, first-round picks in some future NFL draft in its current front seven, then every conversation that we've had for the entire calendar year of 2021 has been a total waste of time because none of this is going anywhere other than the Citrus Bowl. That that you have got to have guys on the Georgia roster who look like Xavier Thomas or Miles Murphy or, you know, Brian Brzee, you know, guys like that. Um, You know, Trayvon, uh, N'Kobe, uh, Adam Anderson, Nolan Smith, who I haven't sold my stock on, Jordan Davis, who I think has a great chance to be not just a first-round pick, but maybe even a front-end first-round pick. Between that five or however many I just named, if you can't find two or three first-round picks, then Georgia is going to be watching the playoff on television. So I think one of the differences, because I think I, you know, I, I might give a slight edge to Clemson's defensive line here, I actually think Georgia's linebackers, and if you even want to include – Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson are sort of edge players. I'm talking those guys that play at that second level of the defense there. I think Georgia's got a pretty significant advantage there, at least in terms of athleticism. James Scalassi really struggled moving sideline to sideline last year. Obviously, he's a really good player, but I, I think there are some questions with this Clemson linebacking core and what they might be able to do out there, and that's why I think guys like James Cook, Kenny McIntosh, Brock Bowers can really take advantage of this Clemson defense right there in the middle because those guys just aren't the athletes that I think a Quay Walker, a Kobe Dean, even a Channing Tindall are. And then if you even want to include Adam Anderson with the work he's going to put in at the star position there. So defensive line, maybe I do get a slight edge to Clemson, just given the way that their defensive line has produced and been used in years past compared to what Georgia, with Georgia, their defensive line, as much as I like Trayvon Walker, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, uh, Devontae White, it is a little bit more of a projection right now than actual on-field production. I think the linebackers are actually a significant edge in Georgia's favor. Will Beecher said I made a dumb comment, but my question on this is, what do y'all think college football is right now? I mean, watch Alabama. Look what Will Anderson's doing for Alabama. Look what he did as a freshman a year ago. It's time for Georgia's guys in that front seven, their pass rusher edge guys, it's time for them to look like a Will Anderson. It's time for them to look like what guys from Clemson have looked like. And one of the reasons why I believe that Georgia can win the national championship is because I believe that metamorphosis for this program is about to occur. I say this all the time on Dog Nation Daily. People always mockingly say, What happens to all those five stars once they get to Georgia? The answer to that question is a lot of them are still here. 
Nolan, Anderson, uh, you know, Nicobe Dean, on and on you could go. This is the year for those guys to play like that. This is the year for those guys to produce numbers. Dan Lanning's got a responsibility right now to create a defense that unlocks the potential these guys have, and it shows up in numbers. And then you get your name called by Roger Goodell in April. That's what national champions do right now. Those are the waters that George is trying to swim in. And anything less than that is not going to be good enough. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. That's, you know, that's why I'm looking at, you know, Mel Kuyper's ratings. And I don't always agree with Mel Kuyper, but he's watched his film now, i.e. he's talked to somebody. Jordan Davis is the number one rated defensive tackle in the country. Devontae Wyatt is number six in the draft class. N'Kobe Dean, the number two inside linebacker projected in next year's draft. Adam Anderson, the number one outside linebacker protected. There's a story up on dognation.com. Lewis Seen, the number three safety. To your point, B.A., they, they have shown that at film, but there was two disastrous games last year. We already talked about the Florida game and the massive failure of Georgia to run the ball. A 21-14 lead dissolves into a 38-24 to deficit, perhaps the 12 worst minutes of Kirby Smart's career. Uh, and then the Alabama game, Sarkeesian with the scissors routes and Alabama adjustment at halftime, complete domination, shutting out Stetson Bennett and the Georgia offense in the second half. Uh, I'll give you that. That was poor coaching, Alabama. Uh, but that it was also good coaching that Stetson Bennett could beat Alabama, perhaps, considering Justin Fields was never in the game. So I, my point is I think these guys have had some great moments in, in on the field, um, but I would also agree with you that, you know, you've got to win the SEC championship to be recognized, to build a legacy, um, and to be remembered, you know, as, as one of the all-time greats. So I, I kind of think they've already done it, but in terms of putting it all together and getting that team result kind of goes into what Kirby says. When the team wins, everybody wins. And as I always like to say, Jeff, the best ability is availability. Connor, what, what do you got there? <laughs> oh, I just sort of circling back, you know, we asked about um, indispensable player, a guy that needs to play well. And B.A. mentioned for the Clemson side, I want to give a name. Please. Well, obviously, I think Brian Brzee takes on a bigger importance in this game if Tyler Davis does not end up playing as has been speculated. But the guy that I'm really interested in watching on the Clemson offense is Will Shipley. This is going to be his first career game. He's a five-star running back. I think running back is one of the few positions where as a freshman you can come in and contribute right away. You know, Georgia has shown that time and time again. Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley, even Kendall Milton flashed some early on last year for Georgia. How involved he is in this game plan for Clemson is going to tell me a lot because he does have the athleticism to be a pass catcher out there, but it's one thing to do it against North Carolina high school football. It's another thing when a Kobe Dean is coming over the middle and smacking you right there. And so how involved Will Shipley is used in both the running game, which I think is going to be a struggle for Clemson, but also in the passing game, I think is going to be really indicative of how Clemson feels about its running back situation and thus offense as a whole. All right, let's try to squeeze another topic here while we have a little bit of time. Obviously, we've talked about this game nonstop for weeks, so we're clearly contributing to the hype for the game, and I you know, certainly uh, admit my role in all of that. But, Jeff, do you think this is the most hyped game? I, I guess you'll not count 27 post, 2017 postseason here. Is this the most hyped game of the Kirby Smart era in your mind? Yeah, there's some contenders there, the two Notre Dames. Uh, there's obviously this game. Um, I, I think I still got to go. I think I got to go just because it's SEC play. Remember how pointed Georgia's roster was towards Tuscaloosa and Alabama last year in, in, in October of 2020? 
I think that feels like everybody was saying, you remember that? It was Georgia's time to, to finally knock off Alabama. It was a potential changing of the guard in the conference, and that conference game meant so much more. I think that game is still probably bigger. Um, I think that one's still probably bigger. You look around, I don't think that either of the Notre Dame games, to me, in my mind, ever qualify as big as this Clemson game because I think this Clemson team's a lot better than both of those Notre Dame teams. Um, obviously, the first game when Notre Dame came off that very poor record in 2016. And, it, it, yeah, even the second one. I mean, I, I just really think that, you know, this one's going to get hyped because it's the biggest next one. And everybody's waiting to be exasperated or relieved after this final on, on Saturday night. But uh, I think there are bigger games so far, regular season games so far in Kirby's tenure at Georgia. What do you think, Connor? 2018 Florida. That Georgia team is coming off a bad loss to LSU where they got – flat out humiliated down there in Baton Rouge. You had all the the drama circling the Justin Fields, Jake Fromm situation. I believe Florida was a top 10 team that day, really looking like it had made a significant change under Dan Mullen. You wondered, all right, well, Kirby blew them out last year, but this looks to be a different Florida team. It's Dan Mullen now. How serious of a threat are they going to be to Georgia going forward? And Georgia that day, very fortunately, came up and lived up to the hype of that game, really in the second half, put it on Florida there. But I think if you think back to where that Georgia team was before the Florida game, the hype, the intrigue going into that Florida game, I think was certainly juicier and I think a little bit bigger than the hype for this Clemson game. Mike, I think uh, Connor brings up an interesting point, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go. Are we talking just regular season games? Is that what yeah. you said? So we're, yeah, we're, let's keep it to regular season. All right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a curveball at you. Um, okay. and I'm gonna, I know that's surprising. And, and I'm going to attribute it to Kirby Smart. You know, when Kirby was asked at a golf tournament a couple of years ago, the, the biggest, most memorable games of his career, one of them that he brought up was Kirby Smart's first game as the Georgia head coach when he faced North Carolina. Now, that's also the last time Georgia played a ranked team in their opener. Um, some people might say the spring game, right? Well, they have 85,000 or whatever at Sanford for a spring game. But I'm going to say the North Carolina, because I think everybody was just – you know, waiting to see Kirby, the start of a new era, uh, former player come home. So I, I'm going to go with that because in season, to me, they're all big. Anytime you play any SEC team, um, you know, regardless, you know, of, of where it's at, uh, I think South Carolina games have been big. Remember the start of 2018, South Carolina was an awful confident team. And, you know, there was some question of, I think South Carolina was an upset pick. I remember 2018 later, you know, playing, uh, seeing Georgia play at Kentucky. And it was uh, the de facto SEC East championship game. And Kroger Field was sold out. And all the Kentucky people were going wild thinking that Kentucky could beat Georgia. Uh, certainly the Alabama game last year in Tuscaloosa, unfortunately, COVID took a lot of the crowd out of it. But that was a game that had been looked forward to forever and ever. You know, Connor brings up that Florida game, and he's right. Georgia's back was against the wall. After losing to LSU, there were doubts of, for Jake Fromm for the first time in his career. Um, you know, he'd done nothing to lose the, the national title game, and Auburn simply pummeled him across the board. But Jake Fromm's job was on the line, and could there be a quarterback change if Jake didn't perform well? Um, I think that is certainly a, a candidate for the biggest game. Um, I think about 2019, the Notre Dame game, the light up, the red, Notre Dame, the recruits that were on campus. Uh, you know, so to me, I'm, I'm going to go nostalgic and I'm going to say Kirby Smart's first game as Georgia head coach against North Carolina. So here's the thing. 
I don't think there's ever been a game in the Kirby Smart era that has come close to approaching the meaning of, of this game on Saturday. And I'll go through this point by point for a little bit. Listen, we all had a good time in Athens in 2019, but really both those games against Notre Dame were more tourist attractions than football games. You know, Georgia was a 17-point favorite in Athens in 2019. No one thought Notre Dame was capable of winning that game. In fact, the game actually turned out to be closer than most people assumed that it probably would. Connor's right when he brings up the importance of the 2018 Georgia-Florida game, but for the most part, I would say that was a local story. I, I don't know that the country at large knew quite what Georgia had at stake that day against Florida. Certainly Georgia fans were well aware of it and how different life would have been had Georgia lost, but I don't know that the rest of the country was quite as plugged in on all of that. You better believe, though, that the country's paying attention right now. This isn't Georgia playing Alabama a year ago where it was a quarterback starting for UGA that no one could have anticipated before the season began. This is JT Daniels' turn now. This is the guy who's you know had the accolades over the course of the offseason. This is his full year chance to work with Todd Munkin in year two. To me, there's not been a game in the smart era that feels like this one. So much so that, to go back to the casual fans that I mentioned a moment ago and the media that serves those casual fans, they are paying attention to this. And they do know the close but you know, no cigar narrative that Georgia's had to deal with. And they do know that teams like Clemson have had the success that Georgia hasn't had. This is the kind of game that generates national talking points. You can say, well, that narrative is going to be unfair after this game. That might be true. But most college football games on an individual basis don't generate much of a narrative nationally at all. This one will. There aren't very many games like that. Georgia, I don't believe, has ever played in one quite as big as this one's going to be. Yeah, we talk about JT Daniels' legacy earlier in the show. I, I think for Kirby Smart's legacy – uh, sort of a, a sports radio topic. I think from a national standpoint, he has a ton to gain and unfortunately a ton to lose in this game, depending on how Georgia plays. Fair or not, you know, Georgia, again, I, I think if, if the 30,000 feet view of this is going to be very different than, say, the 10,000 feet view on this season where, yeah, Georgia loses this game. They can still can handle their business, win out, and get to the college football playoff. But for what this game means from everybody tuning in outside of the, the confines of even the SEC footprint, I think certainly to B.A.'s point there has a greater intensity than maybe some of those games that we had mentioned. And, and Mike, also on the positive side of this, this is a chance for Georgia to unlock a level of achievement they haven't yet done. You know, being a team that's won a college football playoff national championship, you know, that's what LSU has been, and Georgia hasn't fared well in either of the games it's played against LSU under Smart. That's what Alabama has been, and, you know, a couple of those games were close, but ultimately they were you know, defeats that this is a chance to prove that you want the measuring stick against a team that's won multiple college football playoff national championships. All of a sudden it becomes a lot harder to say, well, Georgia can't win the big one on the heels of actually having won a, a pretty big one. How quickly they forget Florida is a multiple national champion and Kirby's won three out of the last four against the Gators and pretty sure Auburn's won a national championship this millennium as well. You really want to get historic? Tennessee won one. That if you if you're but, old, on, but Clemson that. won a national championship two years ago. I mean, uh, some of the team, some of the players in this game probably played in that game. I mean, like like you know, Clemson's national championships are are, are relevant. You know, the last time Florida won a national championship, the players that are playing this year were were, were small children. I mean, you know, this is a chance for Georgia, yeah, for Georgia to do it against a team that is in the midst of currently currently doing it, not just something that, that happened in, in antiquity. Yeah, they are a six-time ACC defending champion. Um, I just don't know how good this Clemson – I'm not ready to say – I mean, because here's what I'm thinking. This is just kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, you know, Georgia plays it somewhat close to the vest to protect JT, much to the chagrin of B.A., who's going to see open receivers all night and wonder why they didn't throw the deep ball. 
Uh, they're going to win 27-23. Everybody's going to get excited. And then we're going to watch North Carolina beat Clemson and somebody else beat Clemson. And all of a sudden, the game of the year that we all thought was so glorious turns out to be against a three-loss Clemson team. And we go, eh, that wasn't as big a deal as we thought it was. That's my prediction for Clemson. Jeff, what do you think? That conference, Mike, I, I would think maybe one more North Carolina, maybe for two losses, counting the one against Georgia. I do see Brandon's point where I, I, I kind of think about maybe I'm trying to understand how Brandon's thinking here. And I would think how the reaction he'll he'll get from his audience and on Monday morning. If Georgia wins, I'm sure folks will be going, oh, my Lord, he's going to be reeling people out of cloud nine where they're licking sugar off the clouds um, because people will be going. Wow, Georgia did this without a George Pickens, without a Darnell Washington, without a Tyke Smith, without a Eric Gilbert, all those pieces. And then what happens when all those pieces come together for this Georgia team? Inversely, if Georgia loses by four points, everybody's going to be wondering, all right, well, we still don't have, Georgia still doesn't have its full team. Tyke Smith's going to be a big difference maker on defense, perhaps one of the three biggest defense the difference makers on defense. Nobody will be able to cover Darnell Washington, not even in the SEC schedule. I think folks are going to be thinking about that. I think it is a a seismic legacy game for Georgia because all those games that Georgia had before, here's a clear point. I don't think Georgia was this far down the line with Kirby Smart. I can hear it in Brandon's tone. He's tired of Georgia tax stacking up all these players and not getting five-star results. He's ready for the recruiting has happened. The players are in town. He wants them to play like what he sees happen at Alabama and what he sees happen at Ohio State. I think there's a, a little bit of we're, we're down to the fourth or fifth installment of Freddie the 13th and Jason is always dying at the end or whatever. I, I think this is the point where I think Georgia fans are a little bit, is this the way it's going to be or is it going to escalate and kick into another high gear with another special team for Georgia? Yeah, listen, I mean, I think the championship window for Georgia remains open for quite some time, but there is a degree to which Georgia is teetering in this game in a way that you don't often get. When it comes to the players healthy enough to play in this game on both sides of the ball, it comes down to a use them or lose them scenario. If you want the next generation of guys who look like this talent to also choose Georgia, you've got to show your ability to use the guys that you have. And there is no excuse of, well, if Georgia only had a thousand five-star wide receivers, you got to use these guys to get those guys. And if Georgia only had a, you know, whatever player as good as whatever the player you want to name, you know, talent is not the issue for Georgia. It's time to use the talent that you have so that you can keep the pipeline rolling so the championship window stays open as as long as it possibly can. I don't think it closes this year one way or another, and I certainly don't think it's going to end because of just this game alone. But these are the kinds of games that you need to win to show people that, yeah, you are more than just second best team in the SEC, fifth best team in the country, the kind of team that three years in a row now has finished the year ranked lower than it started in the preseason polls. That's the history that matters for Georgia. It's the recent trend that's got to be upended. And that's why a game like Clemson matters so much because it's it's a really a perfect measuring stick because you know Clemson has won national championships in the playoff era. Right. I mean, there are legitimate excuses for the reason this being, but you look at the last three years from where Georgia was in 2017, they've taken a step back in each of those seasons where close loss in the SEC championship game leads to them just missing out on the college football playoff for whatever reason there were that season. Next year, get blown out in the SEC championship game and have a pretty bad loss at home to just a flat-out bad South Carolina team. Last season, they go and get embarrassed twice 
by Florida and Alabama don't even end up making the SEC championship game. And while this Georgia team, I think, can still get on that upswing and still absolutely beat Clemson, as B.A. points out, they have to show the results on the field that they're not continuing to take small steps backwards, that they are you know, a, a small setback ready for a major comeback. And I think a win over Clemson would justify them having that major comeback and saying, hey, well, yes, we haven't been – we've only been in the same number of college football playoffs as Michigan State, Washington, Florida State, Oregon. We're clearly closer to that tier of Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama than some of the other teams around in college football. We'll move into our cover more here. We'll get questions and comments. Andy Hilmes says, and Andy, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. I think I've asked you that before, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. He says maybe coaching's the X factor. I'm like the last one to make a big deal about in-game coaching. I have a tendency to think we make too much of in-game coaching sometimes. But, Mike, I'll ask you, can a coach, whether it be Lanning or, or Munkin or Smart himself, can you push the right button and win the game on Saturday? How much do you think an in-game decision matters on a night like Saturday night? Yeah, I think it could. I really do. You know, this is a game of adjustments. And, in fact, I just wrote it. I, I think the talent is close enough where coaching certainly could, uh, you know, be the ultimate deciding factor. I mean, you think about opening games in general. They're kind of like bowl games in the sense of they are to themselves their own unique thing because you're playing an opponent that you know very little about. As Dabble said the other night, you know, the film you've got on them has guys that aren't there anymore. There's going to be guys in the game you haven't seen. So it's really a game of adjustments, much like a bowl game. You know, when you have three weeks prep, right, now you got guys opting out. And that, so that's become a little bit of a game changer. Uh, the coach is a little bit more challenged to see if he can get more buy-in. I reflect back on Texas beating Georgia in the Sugar Bowl and the lack of buy-in across the board. And then one year later, an undermanned Georgia team, goes in there and beats a top 10 Baylor team they had no business beating uh, with all the players they were missing. And so there's different challenges, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make with bowl games and opening games. And I think in both cases, they're good measuring sticks for coaches for those reasons, because there's going to be a lot of adjustments. You know, Connor mentioned the Clemson running back a moment ago. You better believe Dan Lanning and Kirby are going to be watching that guy in warmups wondering if this is a kid you got to worry about. And if he has early success, hey, we need to adjust this. Or if a receiver is beating a corner, you know, Keely Ringo, it may be getting lit up and they go, whoa, 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 get a mere speed in there or vice versa, right? So this is a big-time game of adjustments. I think that's a very fair point, Brandon. Derek Green says coaching is a big factor. Uh, these other schools have the same five stars or less and winning big games. And so to me, there's no doubt that coaching is a big factor. I guess my point, Derek, is – is that to me, it's more about the philosophy you've been stealing over the course of the last few months. And I've been very simple about this. I want to see great athletes have the freedom to go out and play great. Explosive on offense, dynamic on defense. I want to see Georgia sack quarterbacks. I want to see Georgia explode for big plays offensively. And that to me is not about what you do during game day, although I guess the offensive play calling about maybe a little bit of that. It's really about the philosophy that you're willing to instill. But, Mike, I want to push back on one thing. I think it's a very important point for us to hammer home here for a minute. We're going to get ready to wrap up because we're running a little bit late here. You know, you kind of describe this week one game like it's a bowl game. To me, this is not an exhibition. I'm telling you right now, I think it's more likely than not the loser of this game is not making the college football playoff. And I think that's especially true if it's Georgia, that, that you really put yourself behind the eight ball if you don't win this game. So this isn't one of those exhibitions of we shake hands at the end of the game and say, oh, we'll see you come January – 
Um, it ain't that simple for either one of these two teams, and it's certainly not that simple for Georgia, knowing they've been left out before going back 2018 because they didn't take care of their business in the SEC championship game. So I, I can't put this in the exhibition category of two good teams having a fun game. Hopefully everybody just has a good time. Uh, the loser of this game is likely not making the college football playoff. Well, I'm not ready to say that because of some of the points Jeff brought up earlier. Uh, it's going to be a different Georgia team when Darnell Washington – and Dominic Blaylock return, uh, and Tyke Smith, I think that's a different team. I really do, Brandon. And I look at the schedule, and I think even if uh, even if Georgia's confidence gets swayed a little bit, if they were to lose this game, it's a very forgiving schedule where the team will have plenty of time to get the momentum built up uh, for the game in the state of Florida. And, um, and I guess that would probably be the biggest challenge until the SEC title game. So I, I disagree. I understand what you're saying. It would be much easier for Clemson because I don't think the ACC has the hurdles. You know, a moment ago, uh, Connor did a fine job uh, canvassing some of the losses. You know, Clemson lost to Pitt. Clemson lost to Syracuse. The difference is Clemson didn't have to get through Alabama at the end of the year. The difference is Oklahoma doesn't. That's the only difference. If you plug Georgia in the ACC, I think they've won national titles. You put Georgia in the Big 12 – But the difference is they have to contend with Alabama within the league. That's the difference. And a historically good LSU team that nobody was beating. To my mind, the best team I've seen in the modern era of college football, in my opinion, as well as Joe Burrow was playing. So, uh, And as far as the comment on the bowl, I wasn't equating it to a bowl game. I was equating it to the unique opportunity that it is for coaches to prove themselves. In a bowl game, there's some kids opting out. There's a hard level of buy-in if it's not a playoff. In an opening game, you don't have any film on a lot of guys, and therefore there's a lot of adjustments. So that's what I meant was it was a unique opportunity, very different than a bowl game, absolutely, but also very different than week two, three, four, and five when you've got some film to work with and you've got a better understanding of even your own team and how those guys will play under the lights. Mike Mazzell says, no thinking about losing this game. We're going to look like a well-oiled machine, no ifs, ands, or buts. And I think so there as well. I think this is a, I think this is a big one for Georgia. I, I really do, symbolically, tangibly, every other way in between. Final thoughts here. Connor, you got anything you want to say before we go? Yeah, players make plays, and I think Georgia's going to need its best players to play at their best on Saturday if they're going to get a win against Clemson. Jeff, final thought, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to keep it real. I'm just going to be very thankful and grateful that we get to go and do what we do, go on the road, be in front of a packed stadium, cathedral. I, I know for me, I don't know how all you guys will feel, but it's been a long time since we saw a, a Georgia football game in the stands with crowd and fans around. And uh, for me, for me, I know this is not the this is not the you know, hot take and, you know, blistering point I'm, everybody wants to make. But for me, it's just glad to be back at a big football game like this again. It brings a lot of joy, uh, I think, for all of our audience. It brings a lot of joy for all the people that we work for and we write for uh, to see a game like this back on the schedule and Georgia playing in it. Couldn't agree more. Mike, uh, anything else you want to say before we get ready to say goodbye here? Yeah, Kirby Smart, uh, two of the greatest coaches in college football going into the game. They'll be two of the greatest coaches in college football coming out of the game. This isn't a one-game season. Both of these teams are capable of running the table and winning the national title, regardless of what happens Saturday night in Charlotte. 
All right, so we'll leave it there for tonight. Of course, I'll see you tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. for Dog Nation Daily, uh, presented by Kroger. Fun conversation on the way. In fact, Jeff helped us preview how the Georgia-Clemson game could impact recruiting, including a long list of big names that apparently are trying to get in the building on Saturday there in Charlotte, which is kind of fun to think about. Of course, Connor, Mike, also great coverage throughout the day at dognation.com as we head into the game. And, of course, late into the night on Saturday with post-game coverage on all of that too. And I am reminded here, not only does Dog Nation Daily bring in at 10 a.m. tomorrow, also if you watch on the page at dognation.com, we'll get going at 945, our first and 15. This has been so much fun for those who have really made our launch on dognation.com and the Dog Nation app so successful. Uh, such a fun way for us to thank you for that by giving you a little extra content starting at 945. That has been such a good time. And I look forward to doing that with you again there tomorrow, too. I'll see you Friday night as well. High School Football on Peachtree TV for Alatoon and Kennesaw Mountain. A little bit of a pinch hit type football game, but one that's going to be really good. Really a lot of fun there. Friday night, Peachtree TV, CBS46.com, streaming on all of that. So a lot of football this weekend. But the big one's Georgia Clemson. Uh, that's the one on everyone's mind. We got wall-to-wall coverage at Dog Nation, all the platforms. And, of course, after that, we'll see you back here again next Thursday for more Cover 4 Live. We'll talk to you then, everybody. Thank you.